thank you for your children's message this morning. Uh, Today's text is this passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. And the title of the sermon is, How's the View? How's the View? You know, as I was preparing to preach this week, I ran across an interesting article that provided some stuff that I didn't really know. Uh, Back in the early 2000s, tax assessors began to treat spectacular views as a bonus feature of your home in some cities and towns and states. So it didn't matter what your home looked like. If you had a spectacular view outside your home, you ended up paying more in property taxes. Uh, This began in one place in New Hampshire where they don't have a sales tax, and so they were looking for ways to generate revenue. And so in the article that I read, this one man in 2002, his house was appraised for $98,000. And then after New Hampshire implemented what they call the view factor as they were assessing property values, his home went from ninety-eight thousand dollars in 2002 to being appraised at two hundred and seventy three thousand dollars in 2003. This essentially doubled his property taxes and the poor guy had to sell his house and move to Canada. Um, well, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, and so people began to push back about this, and, and in some cases they were able to reduce their property taxes somewhat, but for the most part, this policy uh, stuck. And so if you didn't want to pay a lot in property taxes, then the next time you look for real estate, you might want to look next to a railroad track or a junkyard or a landfill because the nicer view that you have in some of these places, regardless of what the home looks like, it's going to add to your property value, your assessment and your taxes, just like maybe having an attached garage would or a finished basement. Uh, Now, I don't know about you. I don't like paying a lot more taxes than I have to, but I do appreciate a good view. And so, in fact, Hillary and I, our house is in a subdivision, but we actually live on the edge of the subdivision, and our backyard overlooks a middle school. And so uh, there's this big, wide open space there. There's this nice field that they use for field days and physical education and for soccer. I like to say we've got the biggest yard in our subdivision and we don't have to pay to have it landscaped. Somebody else does it. And so we just get this beautiful, spectacular view and we don't have to pay property taxes on it yet. (laughs) Um, but it is a really, really, really nice view. And, and I was thinking about that scripture lesson this morning because of, of what I read about here in Paul's gospel, um, in, in Paul's letter. Paul begins it by saying that he bows down before God in prayer because of the riches of God's glory. 
And, and so if you haven't bothered to read anything else that Paul has written, if you haven't bothered to read what happens in the few chapters before our passage today, you might assume that Paul must really love his view because he's bowing down before God because of the riches of God's glory. And while Paul may indeed love his view, if I were in Paul's situation, I'm not sure that I could appreciate the view that Paul has. Because what we know is that Paul wrote the past, this letter to the Ephesians while he was in jail in Rome. He is behind bars. And, and even though we didn't read it in our passage this morning, if you know anything about Paul's life, you know that this guy, since he became a follower of Jesus, since he became an apostle, it's just been one hardship and one sort of adversity after another. I mean, this guy has suffered in every possible way that you can imagine. He's been persecuted. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been whipped. And now he's in jail. And yet, somehow, some way, this guy who's writing this letter from jail, this guy who's experienced all sorts of suffering throughout his life and is even suffering in this very moment, somehow he is able to look and he is able to say that I fall upon my knees before God because of the riches of God's glory. Now, how in the world... He can look at his circumstances and see something beautiful, see something better, is beyond me on most days. And yet, that's exactly what Paul is able to do. Paul is able to acknowledge his present difficulties. I mean, he writes about them all throughout his letters. He's not this Pollyanna guy who's not willing to accept the reality of his present life. He is not in denial about what he is facing. And yet Paul has this amazing faith, this amazing ability to look beyond the bleakness of the present moment. And he is able through faith and because he trusts in God to look to a future reality. What will be, what can be. And that's why he is able to fall upon his knees before God and give thanks for the riches of God's glory. And I want to pray like Paul. I want to be able to acknowledge the difficult circumstances that life brings, but I want to be able to look beyond that to a better day, beyond that to what God can do and will do if I continue to trust in God and have faith in God. And not only do I want that for me, and, and in the same way that Paul wanted it for the Ephesian church, I want it for the St. Mark's Church too. Because I'm here to tell you, if it's not already happening, life does happen, does it not? I mean, you may not be in jeopardy of losing your life like Paul was. You may never, never find yourself in jail like Paul found himself in jail. But there's a really good chance that somewhere along the way that your kids are going to get on your last nerve. 
there's a really good chance that you're going to be worried about your children's safety and future because of decisions that they are making. There's a really good chance that you'll find yourself in a lousy job or a lousy marriage uh, or uh, someone you care about deeply is going through hospice. Uh, there are all sorts of things in life that can happen. And, and I want you and me to be able to acknowledge the, the reality of those circumstances, uh, not to deny them, to, to, to feel the feelings that come with them, but somehow, some way to be able to look beyond the present circumstances, the present difficulties, to a future uh, and to somehow believe that we serve a God that can do more than we ask or imagine. That's what I want for you. And so how could we and how should we pray with that sort of uh, reality, that sort of desired future in mind? Well, Paul begins to pray, it says, by kneeling and getting onto his knees and bowing before the Lord. And, and I want to suggest to you that you can pray in lots of different ways. I mean, I, I really like to help people find the best way for them to pray. And so sometimes people like to stand up and they pray and they stick their arms out like this and their palms are up in heaven. Uh, sometimes uh, that people like to pray in the pews here at the church. Usually it's like, dear Lord, please help him finish this sermon. Let's get it over with. Um, sometimes we like to pray while we're driving down the road. If you do that, I do encourage you to keep your eyes open while you're praying, while you're driving down the road. There are lots of different ways to pray. You've probably found one that works well for you. But there is something about... Uh, our posture that demonstrates what kind of prayer we are and what kind of prayer we are praying. And Paul, by him getting down onto his knees, his posture is communicating, I think, something important about what's going on in Paul's heart and in Paul's mind. And, and by bowing before God on his knees, he, he is submitting himself uh, to God. He is showing reverence for God. He is showing a willingness to surrender to God. He is showing a readiness for God to do something. I think it is absolutely important that Paul is on his knees before God. It is an act of surrender and an act of submission. And let me tell you, when you are on your knees, there is a different view of you and of God than when you're praying in another way. Paul approaches God on his knees, and that helps Paul to see God differently. And, and then what does Paul pray for when he's on his knees? He prays that the Ephesian church would be strengthened by God's Spirit. And, and why does he want people to be strengthened by God's Spirit? Well, remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Spirit not only reminds us of what we've already been taught, but that the Holy Spirit also teaches us what we do not yet know. And so... Uh, 
Paul wants these people to be strengthened in God's Spirit. That's what Paul wants for them, and that's what I want for you. But we don't really understand how much God loves us, how much God seeks to help us, how much hope God seeks to offer us, unless we do as Paul do, and we pray that the Spirit would dwell in us. It's, the word that Paul uses here is, is actually defined taking up permanent residence in. Now, have you ever thought about the difference between visiting and dwelling? You know, if somebody's coming to visit me in my home, I can psych myself up and say, for two hours, I can try to be hospitable. For two hours, I can act like I like you. For, for two hours, I can practice good manners. That's for visiting. Visiting is pretty easy. I can... I can Fool you and fool myself even for a short period of time if you're just visiting. But if you're permanently moving in, if you are taking up dwelling and residence in my home, I am not going to be able to just practice good manners and act like I like you uh, because that is going to go to the wayside very, very quickly. When somebody moves in with you, it takes a whole lot more work, doesn't it? I mean, you really have to decide, look, we're stuck together now. We're going to have to learn to coexist. I'm going to have to learn what pushes your buttons, and you're going to have to learn what pushes my buttons. I'm going to have to know how I can serve you and pour into you, and you're going to have to learn how to serve me and pour into me. There is something fundamentally different about inviting the Spirit of God to just visit us and inviting the Spirit of God to taking up permanent residence in us and so Paul's prayer is that the Ephesian church would not only be strengthened by God's spirit in its inner being but Paul prays that these people will allow the spirit of God to permanently dwell in their hearts and their minds in their spirits and that's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for the people of the St. Mark's Church. We can't just allow the Spirit of God to sleep on the couch or in the guest room for a little while and then say, thanks for coming, see you next Sunday. If the only way that we are allowing room and making room for the Spirit of God to come and be in our hearts is when we're here on Sunday mornings in worship, then we are settling for far less than what God wants to do by the Spirit of God coming and permanently dwelling in our hearts and in our minds. And it, my friends, is a greater view when we can allow the Spirit of God room inside our innermost beings all the time. And here's the good news about that view. You don't have to pay a dime for it. Jesus has already paid the price for us so that we might have the opportunity to experience this spectacular view with Christ being present 
in our lives. You see, I used to think when I was a young preacher that, that uh, there was a lot of pressure on me that you wouldn't know about the love of God unless I could clearly and effectively communicate the love of God to you. I felt like it was all up to me. You know, I just felt like that if you didn't experience God's love, that that meant that I didn't preach as good a sermon as I thought I did, or maybe I didn't work hard enough on the sermon, or maybe I didn't understand the love of God enough on my own, and that's why that you never got it, because I couldn't clearly communicate it to you. And what Paul seems to be saying is that this is not up to Paul. He can't make the Ephesian church love God more. He cannot help them to understand God's love alone. Uh, he cannot give them the hope and the help that God offers to them alone. Paul seems to think that this is a supernatural event. He can introduce people to God. He can introduce God's love to them. He can talk about the hope and the help that God seeks to make available to God's people. But ultimately, the only way to more fully experience that love and that hope and that grace is to invite the Spirit of God to take up permanent residence in our lives. It is to believe as Paul believed and to pray for as Paul prayed for that this God would come into our innermost being and that this God would grant us the grace to have faith and trust that God can do more than we ask or imagine. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to join me and let's Pray like Paul. Let's pray that we would be strengthened in our innermost being by God's Spirit. Let's pray that we can begin to invite God's Spirit not just to come into our lives uh, and be aware of that presence on Sunday mornings, but throughout every moment of every single day. And let's see if that can't change our view of our present realities and what we might expect because we have placed our trust into one who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so I'm going to ask Adam if he will just begin to play Sweet Hour of Prayer. And I want to invite you because, see, I know this about myself. As soon as church is over, I'm thinking about lunch. <laughs> I'm thinking about the football game or the NASCAR race or working in the yard. And, and I'd like to think that everybody goes home and you sit there and you have lunch and you say, boy, wasn't Tommy's sermon invigorating today? Let's reflect more on that as we break bread together. But it typically doesn't happen that way, does it? And so why not do it now in worship? So I'd like to invite you, if you want to be so bold as to change your view of prayer, uh, this altar is open. Paul saw fit to just come and to just humble himself and bow before God on his knees 
as a way of showing his submission to God's authority in his life, as a way of showing reverence for God, as a way of showing a readiness to listen and to follow God. And so if you'd like to come forward today and to take advantage of that posture of prayer, would you come now? You don't have to come. I've learned a long time ago that that's a pretty good place to pray out there on those pews. But I want you to know that by changing your posture and your way of praying, sometimes you'd just be surprised at what God might do or say. And here's what I want you to pray for, that you would be strengthened in your innermost being by God's Spirit. And then if you feel like you haven't made room for God to dwell there, would you just pray for that today? The altar is open should you desire to come and pray. My prayer for all of us today is that when life happens, whether it be facing imprisonment or suffering of some kind, that we could acknowledge the reality of that, those circumstances. But that because we believe in a God who can do more than we can ask or imagine, we can also look forward to a day when, when God's going to do something good. Um, that begins by inviting God to just dwell with us daily so that you'll be strengthened in God's love, have hope and help. The invitation is to just continue to pray that prayer in the days ahead. 
and see what God might do. Uh, Amen.